0: tonight I want to talk about finding faith the scripture says and without faith living within us it would be impossible to please God for we come to God in faith knowing that he is real and that he rewards the faith of those who passionately seek him you know last week we had Easter and it was fantastic and I loved everybody who was here it was so fun we went over and had a meal at Curt um, and Tracy's and it was Perfect. I loved it. And Easter is the pinnacle of the Christian calendar, really, because Easter is where the rubber hits the road, I guess. This is where, here's where everything about Christianity, every claim that we make comes to fruition at the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, we don't really have a faith. We don't really have power without the resurrection. You know, the Bible is brutally honest about this. It says, and if Christ is not alive, you are still lost in your sins, and your faith is a fantasy. That's, that's the passion translation, which is one of my favorites these days. Because here's the deal. If we are still in sin, our consequence is death. And if Christ can't overcome death, neither can we, right? We don't get to participate in his power if he doesn't have any power. So Easter is super important to us as Christians we either, we either believe that he is resurrected and has resurrection power, or we don't. Like, there's no middle ground for that. You know what I mean? Um, there's a very famous Thomas that you guys might have um, heard of or, or not, and his name is Thomas Jefferson. Who knows Thomas Jefferson? He's actually a very famous doubting Thomas, even though you might not have seen him as a doubting Thomas. He's the author, I looked this up, just so you know, teacher, homeschool teacher. He's the author of the Declaration of Independence, of Independence, forefather of our nation, third president of our nation, responsible for the Louisiana Purchase, the advocate for the wall between church and state, and he was also a deist. Some people think he was a Christian, but he was a deist. He actually believed that there was a creator God. He believed in God, a creator God. But what he did, this is so funny, but he was a skeptical man for as many good things as he did. He's a skeptical man he had an unorthodox view about the Bible. One time he decided that he was going to fix the Bible. So he literally took out a razor and cut the parts out of the Bible that had anything to do with supernatural miracles or anything like that. And he reduced the Bible to a book that he called the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. That's a true fact, you guys. He decided that he was going to take the things out of the Bible he didn't like and just keep the things in that he did like, and that's what he was going to live by was this this idea of morality, right? Which morality is not a, a bad thing. The problem is Jesus can't just be a moral man because he made too many claims in his lifetime To be just moral he has to be at the very least an incredible liar he has to be an incredible um, arrogant person to make all these claims about how he's going to die and rise again and not really do it c.s lewis puts it this way i love it in his book mere christianity jesus told people that their sins were forgiven this makes sense only if he was the god whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said that sort of thing, said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. (laughs) You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Don't you love the way C.S. Lewis talks? Don't you just love that? And so poor Thomas Jefferson, as smart as he was, he ended up being a fool because he wants to reduce Jesus to just a moral teacher. But Thomas Jefferson is not the most famous Doubting Thomas. Do we know another Doubting Thomas anywhere? The Doubting Thomas of the Bible, right? He's actually got it in a really bad rap because he was a man of great courage. You know, there was a um, story in Luke. You guys, we've talked about this a lot, about um, how... People came to Jesus and said, the friend, the brother that you love, the man that you love is sick, and you need to go to him. And Jesus said, okay, let's go. And the disciples that were with him said, no, you can't go. They were just trying to stone you in Judea. You can't go back there. That would be dangerous for you. Do you know who's the person that spoke up and said, no, I'm going to go? That was Thomas. Thomas said, if you're going to go, I'm going to go, and I'll get killed with you. So, we kind of think Thomas is this milk toast guy that was, was weak or maybe um, fearful. He really wasn't. He was a true skeptic. He was somebody who had true questions and wanted real answers. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think Jesus thinks there's anything wrong with a real skeptic. I think Jesus has got all the answers for a real skeptic. And he's like, bring it on. bring, Bring to me what you got, and I'll deal with it. I really believe that. I can relate to Thomas. I'm kind of a skeptic sometimes. You know, he had a sharp mind. He didn't want to appear naive or foolish. He wanted to believe in something for real. Many people want to see to believe as well. but they're also unwilling to be led by the evidence. You know, I'm going to tell you a story, and I know I've told this a lot, but maybe you haven't heard it over here, so I'm going to tell it again. (laughs) This is a story of a turning point in my life, of a belief turning point. You know how we all have turning points in our life where something happened, and after this event, now we're different afterwards, right? So this is a story of that kind of turning point in my life. So a lot of you know my testimony. Um, My first husband is a pilot, and back during the Iraq War, he was stationed overseas for almost two years. Not, Not the whole time, but off and on for two years. And I was left home with the kids. Um, and he was also a pilot with United. United was going in through bankruptcy and all those kinds of things. And I was assaulted with fear, almost fear like I, at that time, had never felt it before. Because I didn't know what was going to happen with my life. I didn't know if we'd have a job. I didn't know if he'd get killed. I didn't know if, you know, I was a stay-at-home mom. I hadn't worked in years and years and years. And I'm like, what are we going to do? What am I going to do if my husband gets killed in the war or whatever, Right. And I was searching for all these um, reasons about why I was, you know, I'd wake up with hives. I'd have hives all over my body. I'd wake up at night going, why do I have hives? Like, what's going on? Or, you know, I was really stressed out. And I would go to the doctor and I'd be like, hey, something's wrong with me. Maybe I'm going through menopause super early. Can you check all my levels? You know? And, of course, he's like, sure. I mean, he's probably like, she's crazy, but I'll do it anyway. You know, I was like 35. I mean, I was pretty young. I mean, I was, I don't know, if I, I don't know, how, I don't know how old it was, but I was pretty young. And, um, finally I went to one nurse practitioner lady and I, I went into her and I said, um, I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, I just, I just kind of spilled my guts to her and I was crying. Like I couldn't get through the, the appointment. And she just looked at me in the meanest way possible. And she said, you're depressed. And I went, what i'm not depressed what are you talking she goes you're crying in my office you can't stop yourself do you want me to write you some medicine right now and i'm like oh my gosh i think i'm depressed you know and i had no idea that that was going on in my life i was just so messed up that i couldn't make that jump to what was going on well fast forward you know i'm get starting to get really involved in the rock church and remember that story i told last week about brian and how he called me up on the stage. Well, that was back in my time and I'm like, yeah, I'm not real sure about the Holy Spirit stuff. Like, that seems real crazy to me. And kind of Looney tunes and not very intellectual. Like, maybe those people are a bunch of anti-vaxxers and, you know, <laughs> homeschoolers and real weirdos who, you know, don't have critical thinking skills. Seriously, I thought that. And then, you know, Brian does his little thing and brings me up on stage. And I had this radical fulfillment, really, of a word that he gave me. Well, this is right in the middle of all that, because God was like, mm, girl, (laughs) I got your skepticism right here, (laughs) you know? And so um, about that time, I went up to, someone took me up to Lookout Mountain, up the mountain, to a church that was doing prophetic ministry where you 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 probably are all familiar with this at that time i was not familiar at all with it where you sign up on the little thing and then you sit and do your worship and then they pull you into a room they do prophetic ministry over you right and that had never done that before didn't know what it was thought it might be crazy but i was going to give it a shot right because i was messed up like i'm depressed and probably need medication you know and i don't know how i'm going to get through my my life And I do all the, I sign up, you know, and you get that little tape recorder so they can take the word of the God, word of the Lord for you. And I'm like, what? And I get in there, you guys, and they freaking read my mail. Read it. They were just like, you know, the Lord wants to tell you that he loves you so much and he sees your fear. And he just, they just started reading my mail, reading my mail. And I'm like what is going on? And I just fell apart, and I wept, and I wept, and I wept. And that's a turning point in my life, you guys, because I encountered God for myself. I was a skeptic. I didn't know. I didn't have faith for that. Had never experienced it. I was a skeptic. I needed to meet God for myself. I needed to see this wasn't all just a bunch of hooey, right? That maybe there was something to encountering Jesus for yourself, having, a, having experience of the Holy Spirit who he ministers to you beyond your intellect, right? I'm not saying we throw the intellect out, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that was a turning point for me. And so I relate to people like Thomas, who's like, man, I need to see it for myself. You can tell me your experience all day long, but I need to see it for myself. So I relate to him. I think the cool thing is that Jesus meets us, meets us at our place of sincerity. Like, he doesn't care about our skepticism. He just cares about are we, are we sincere in seeking him? Do we, do, are we really willing to see the evidence if he gives it to us? He, he'll give us the evidence. Will we accept it? Because, you know, some people won't even accept the evidence that's put in front of them. They, they have a, for lack of a better word, narrative that they want to stick to regardless of the evidence put in front. And I, th- I believe that Jesus is like, oh, I'll give you everything you need. Just stay open to it. So, <laughs> thanks, Bob. Thank you, Bob. I love that. <laughs> so let's pick up our story about the doubting part of Thomas. It's Sunday morning. Imagine this. It's Sunday morning. Um, and the women go to the tomb. They're going to anoint Jesus' body. Mary arrives, sees the stone is rolled away, and assumes that the body has been taken. That's her That's her first assumption, someone's stolen the body. Peter, you know, So she runs back to Peter and John. They've taken his body. They've taken his body. Peter and John go to the tomb. They see the empty grave clothes. They examine the evidence. They're like, where did they take him? What's going on? They must have stolen his body. The guards who are placed in front of the tombs encounter angels right before that. They roll the the stone away, and they're terrified. They're so terrified, they flee in terror. And and guess, here's the thing, you guys. This was, this is a really weird word, custodia or something like that. Oh, it's a real estate agent. I know. Let me let me go back. The guards were something like it's a it's a word that we get our word custodian from, but what it means is they were an elite Roman guard. Okay. Oh, turn that off. They are an elite Roman guard and they if they left their post for any reason, they would have been executed. So here's the thing, you guys. They didn't go to their Roman um manager or general or whoever was over them i'm gonna throw this to you chris yeah he doesn't know how to do an apple someone help him here chris i'm gonna throw this to you that's my watch you know where they went they did not go to like their captain or whoever is over them they were so scared they ran to the high priests. They ran back to the religious leaders. Why would they do that? They were Romans. Why would they go tell the high priests that Jesus' body was gone, that they had seen angels? They were so terrified they'd seen angels. They didn't report that to their regular people. They went back to the religious leaders that they knew of, right? I think they did that because they actually encountered a supernatural force and didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't have an answer for what happened to them, so they went to what they thought would be a spiritual authority instead of going to their secular authority. That's what I'm trying to say. Instead of going to their regular boss and saying, well, the other thing is they could have been killed. They shouldn't have left their post. That would have been execution. So what happens is the high priests, they say to them, I'll read it to you. Matthew says it this way, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while he was asleep. If this report gets the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. You're not going to be killed. Just do what we tell you to do. Okay? Okay? So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. What's, like I said, what's interesting here is they went to the chief priests and not their own barracks. And before we condemn Thomas for being a doubter, let's remember that the followers of Jesus saw that the body was gone and they naturally assumed that the body had been stolen. They didn't have any thought in their head that, oh, he's resurrected. He, he did what he said. They were all scared to death and like, where did the body go? In fact, when Mary ran into the gardener, who she thought was the gardener, Jesus, she says, please, sir, where did you take his body? And then Jesus had revealed himself to her. But her first assumption and the disciples' first assumption was that the body had been stolen. Who's the doubter? Who's the doubter, right? We all are. in fact, Here's what's really funny. I'm going to read this to you. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Here's some really interesting details, you guys. First, in the evening of the day that Jesus appeared to Mary, he said, go and tell the disciples, he says this to Mary, and go to Galilee, tell them to go to Galilee, and they will see me there. Where were the disciples? Were they in Galilee? They were still in Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem Hold up in a room, locked door, muttering about what they were going to do. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What's going on? I'm so scared. I don't know. They were in fear. The Bible says they were in fear. They didn't go to Galilee. They didn't believe Mary. They were holed up in the room. Here's the other thing. The doors are locked. This tells us that the resurrected Jesus can pass through locked doors. What? What? His body has somehow changed. His body isn't like our normal physical body that we have now. What? That's cool. That's just cool. The disciples were afraid. We talked about that. Peter and John saw, they ran in there, and you know what they saw? If someone had stolen a body, just imagine, you're a grave robber. Okay, you're a grave robber. You go in to steal a body. Do you take the clothes off and fold them up neatly and put them on? the bench where the body is do you do that do you take the other grave clothes and put them on the other side folded neatly and yet that's how they found the grave clothes folded up neatly put to the side not as if someone had stolen a body maybe like someone who had gotten up and taken their clothes off and folded them up neatly i don't know weird so why did disciples not believe This is cool. Jesus appears, and what does he say twice to his followers? He says, peace. Peace be with you. Jesus knows what they're struggling with. He knows that his disciples are frail, human, and full of doubt. I love this, that Jesus' first words are peace be with you, not hey, I thought we were meeting in Galilee. (laughs) Didn't I say we're meeting in Galilee? What are you doing here? His first thing is peace. Peace be with you. He says it twice right? This is super important because one of the main components of the gospel is peace. Peace. We can be and are set free from the bondage of fear. Did you know that do not fear is one of the most spoken commands in the Bible? Do not fear, do not fear. Every time an angel would show up, don't fear me, don't fear me. Because we have been oppressed with a yoke of fear, resurrection of Jesus has broken that once and for all that's why his first words are peace you get to now live in peace here's another thing that he did he shows the disciples his hands and his side why did he do that in Luke this is a different this is a different writer he reports it differently he says that Jesus invites them to touch his hands and his side and then when they're still apparently not convinced by that, because I think they, they thought he was a ghost, because, uh, you know, he came through a locked door. Wouldn't you think that was a ghost? <laughs> you know, if you, right? Possibly. And so Jesus is like, no, look, I'm really physical. Touch my hands, touch my side, and oh, that's not convincing you. Do you have some food? I'll eat some food. Because apparently ghosts don't eat food, right? So Jesus ate some fish, he, actually, to, again, to meet their skeptical hearts. Right to meet them where they're at, which is what I love. Then here's another thing that Jesus does: He breathes on His Spirit on His disciples. He breathes breath of the Holy Spirit. He says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." Now you know that it's after this time that the breath of Jesus is breathed on His disciple disciples is when Peter preaches that powerful sermon, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and the church is burst in Acts. Do you remember that? It's after this time because Jesus has breathed the Holy Spirit. And here's what I think is so cool. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden when God, you know, makes Adam out of the dirt and Adam's laying there? What brings him to life? The breath of God, right? So don't miss this parallel. Jesus is always redeeming something that's been lost in the earth and from sin. And in our human existence, eternal life was stolen from us when we sinned. That breath that, that God breathed into us, there's a consequence of sin in our mortal bodies. But when Jesus breathes on us, he actually revert again, reversed the curse, right? He restores, he redeems everything that the, the enemy tried to steal from our sin life, Jesus restores it back. Now we do get eternal life and apparently a body that can walk through walls, <laughs> Right? A res- and we get to eat still, apparently, which is what I love. Maybe we can eat and not put on weight. That would be, that would be like a really renewed body, right? I was telling, this is a sidetrack. I was telling Janelle, I said, um, we went to Wide Open Saloon last night, and, and Lori H- Harry was 50 years old. And I can't believe she's 50. She looks super young. And we were talking about age, and I said, here's the deal. I said, up until about 50, I felt really good about my body. I mean, I still feel like myself inside, but once you hit 50, your body is telling you a whole different story, right? Your body is the one going, you're not young anymore. You're not young anymore. And you can't ignore it like maybe you could earlier. But I think 50 was the magic number for me when I was like, oh, my body's falling apart. So I really hope when I get my restored, renewed body, it's going to be young, sexy, but I don't know that we have you know, marriage in heaven. And I get to eat, and I won't put on weight. So I'm super happy with that. The other thing is Jesus tells the disciples about forgiveness. He, he gives them a mission. He, this, is, this is an actual mission he's going to expand on more in other areas. But the purpose and mission for the disciples now is to spread the word Of what jesus brings and that's forgiveness we get to have this resurrection restored life because we're reconciled to the father through forgiveness you know you guys know i do mediation i've been doing quite a bit of it lately believe that or not because of covid and i had um i was telling janelle again i i've been getting a lot of referrals lately not just cold calls off the internet but people who've (laughs) gotten divorced and recommend me to their friends who are getting divorced right i mean what a reputation right and I was doing there, in fact, I was doing it in a new building, and Chris <laughs> heard us talking in the um, conference room. We were talking so loud, and I kept saying to the husband and wife, listen, we need to use our quiet voices. We're in a building, and there's people around, so let's use our indoor voice. And the, the husband was like, I don't have an indoor voice. I'm like, you need to find your indoor voice. And oh, by the way, we're not going to say the F word here in, in the mediation. He's like, okay, sorry. I'm like, I get it, but we're going to you know, have self-control. And by the end, they were like, could you come over and mediate for us every night? I mean, where were you, blah, blah, blah. And it really broke my heart because here are somebody, just like what Brian was saying last week, these people are asking for help. They're like, hey, could you help us or could you have helped us keep our marriage together if we would have had this kind of um, influence in our life earlier on? And it really struck me that, wow, this is, this is the world saying, please help us please help us. We can't, we're getting a divorce. And maybe if we had your help earlier, we wouldn't have got a divorce. Please help us. And to me, it was, it was God saying, these are your people. These are the people that need to know the forgiveness and they need to know the resurrection power to save their marriage, to, to turn them around. It was, it was a very, it was a very strong metaphor to me for what God is calling us to do. So let's get back to Thomas. Apparently Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus showed up to them that walked through the the wall, right? So the other disciples tell Thomas about their experience. They have seen the Lord. That word um, told him is in the Greek, perfect something something which means ongoing they didn't just say it one time they kept saying over and over thomas we saw jesus thomas we saw the lord thomas 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 we're not we're not kidding he came through the wall we saw his hands we saw his side we really saw him they didn't say it just one time but he said to them unless i see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side i will not believe I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again. What's the first thing he said to them? Peace be with you. Walks through the wall, says, peace be with you. Who's the first person he talked to? Thomas. He says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have not believed, and yet have believed. I think this is what's really cool about this. Thomas was the first person he talked to he came right to Thomas he knew what was going on he came right to him he doesn't rebuke him he says he didn't say what's wrong with you he said look here I got the evidence for you right here you know what's cool Thomas didn't put his finger in his hand and didn't put his hand in his side immediately he was confronted by the evidence and he said my Lord and my God and the cool thing about this is Thomas was a Jew when he was saying, my Lord and my God, he was saying, you are, you are divine. You are actually the Messiah. I am declaring you right now the Son of God. I identify you as that. He didn't have to put his hands, his fingers in his hands, hand in his side. The evidence was enough. That's cool about Thomas, right? As a side note, you guys, why do you think Jesus kept the wounds from his crucifixion on his body? I mean, if he has a body that can walk through the walls, don't you think he could have healed up those scars really fast if he had wanted to? Like, what's the purpose of that? And here's what I think. I don't know that this is right. I just think this could maybe be it. I think there's something about our scars from our life that we carry around that's meant to drive us to God and meant for us to show people to drive them to God, to bring them to the Lord. You know, the Bible says Jesus was perfected in his suffering. Why does Jesus need to be made perfect? Isn't he perfect? And yet there's something in suffering that perfects us. And I believe that Jesus carried his scars around so that He, we would know we can carry our scars around. And even though we've been bought and redeemed and restored and we have a perfect body, there's something about our scars that show to other people, you can be scarred and still be whole. You can be scarred, and you could have lived through a lot of life's problems that you caused or caused to you, and you can still be whole and have a purpose and have a destiny. It's not the end of you. That's why I think Jesus kept his scars. He is a forerunner for us. He is our big brother, so to speak, right? And I, that, that gives me a lot of I feel redeemed because I have a bunch of scars all over my body. But my scars can maybe help those bickering mediation people figure something out. But maybe my scars can show other people, hey, you can be scarred, and God's got a lot of good things ahead for you, and he's going to use you to save and, and bring a lot of people to himself. That is so restorative to me. So, what does that have to do with finding faith? That's the name of my sermon. First, Jesus has no problem with people who doubt. He'll meet you right where, they're, right where you're at. In fact, he'll seek you out, just like he did with Thomas. Oh, you doubt me here, Thomas. I'm going to talk to you. Matthew 7, 7 through 8 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I think it's really important that we keep this in our head when we, when we bump up against people who are very skeptical, possibly negative, towards Christianity. Some of you may know that um, there is an agenda out for white evangelical people. Possibly the word persecution could be used, right? We've got to remember... There are people out there who are skeptical. Maybe they've been hurt by the church or hurt by people. We need to remember that God's going after them. We don't need to get in the way of what the Lord's doing, and we don't need to condemn them for their skepticism. We just need to let God do his thing. And when our turn comes and God asks us to step in, we just say, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? But we don't need to condemn them. They're on their own path, right? It's easy to do. We're polarized right now, right? The second thing is Jesus has no problem with people's intellectual arguments. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about his own experience. You know, see, you guys know C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite guys. He was, um, he was a really, um, he was an atheist before he became a Christian, then he was a very strong apologist for Christianity. And he was as intellectual and academic, remember how you know, academia these days is possibly pulling our kids down the wrong path. This is the academic, academic guy. God got a hold of this man. Do you know who he became? One of the most famous Christians of our time while he was in college, while he was a professor. This is what he says about his experience with God. You must picture me alone in that room at Magdalene night Magdalene, night after night. Magdalene is his college. Night after night feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of england god is truly the hound of heaven he has his mind set on us and even our own intellectual arguments cannot withstand his presence i always like what bob says when you ask god into your heart he takes that seriously whether you do or not he's he's going to go after you thirdly god uses everything in our life to increase our faith he uses our suffering, our trials, our scars, everything to birth faith in us. Bob talks again. He's my, you know, he's my sage, Bob. He talks about how we carry truth in two parts of our body, our head and our heart. Our, I say our hearts right down here, our stomach. In fact, they're now calling our stomach our second brain because we have most of our serotonin in our stomach. Isn't that weird? When we have suffering, what feels it the most? Our gut. Do you guys ever have that roiling in your stomach when you're anxious or you're afraid? It's in our stomach, right? And I think sometimes that God uses that suffering and our wounds and everything, that roiling in our stomach, because between the two truths, our head and our heart, our heart's always going to be the authority. Our heart is always going to win. It doesn't matter what our brain thinks. It doesn't matter. Here I am going up to Lookout Mountain, not knowing what's going on. These people are anti-vaxxers and a bunch of weirdos. And then I meet the Lord. Then I meet the Lord. And instantly, my whole world is changed, right? It doesn't matter what I believe up here what happened here. Remember, there's no atheists in foxholes. There's no atheists in foxholes, no matter what people will tell you. I can't tell you how many times even, you know, people give Facebook a bad rap, and sometimes it needs a bad rap. But I'm friends with people that are flat out socialist, atheist, communist, whatever. Everything I don't really like. But God's like, all I want you to do is love them. Because right now she's going through breast cancer, and I want you to say that you're praying for her. And you know what I do? I go praying for you. You know what that little atheist, communist, Marxist girl does? She hearts it and says, thank you. Because you know what? When people are going through breast cancer, they want you to pray for them. Because they're no longer atheists when they're going through breast cancer. They're scared. God uses those things in our lives to to build our faith and the faith of others. Be patient with people. So how did it end up for our most famous doubter? Not Thomas Jefferson. We know he died. Doubting Thomas. Church tradition says that he traveled to India, became a missionary, baptized many believers, and was possibly the first to bring the gospel to the far east. That might explain why he is considered the patron saint of India. He ended up with a fantastic legacy. How did it turn out for C.S. Lewis, one of the most stubborn believers of the 20th century? He has been dubbed the apostle to the skeptics and one of the most influential apologists of his time. And the final question is how will it turn out for you? How will you let God transform your doubts and fears? How will you leave a legacy of faith? It's an easy path. Admit your fears, your doubts, and your skepticism, and Jesus will meet you right where you're at. And just like Doubting Thomas and C.S. Lewis, once we submit and let God release faith in us, who knows where we'll go? We might be the most famous apologist of the 21st century or the apologist to the, the apostle to the skeptics. Who knows what God will do once we release faith in ourselves? So let's pray, you guys. Lord, thank you so much for this message. It's been such a eye-opener for me, God, that I get to be skeptical, but at the same time I can seek you and I can accept what you send to me. And that you're okay with that. I pray, Lord, that you would release faith to all of us here. Faith for greater things. Faith for our country. Faith for our society. Faith for our family. Lord, that you are in control of all things. And we get to trust you and we choose to trust you. That you don't ever shame us or embarrass us for that. But you offer all that we need. All we have to do is ask. You will offer all that we need. All we do is ask, God, I thank you so much that you love us in our weakness. Thank you for what you did at the cross. Thank you for defeating death for the last time. We love you and we bless you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.